All right, well, we are in fourth week of our generosity series, and today we're talking about a generous response. And just before I uh, dive into what we're talking about today, I just wanted to um, talk a little bit about what we talked about last week, which I know I talked a little bit about in the sermon, but um, it was a very interesting week of conversation that um, I heard about in small groups, I had with several of you, um, and I hope that our frankness, our forwardness as we talk about what we do and how we live generous lives, and, and honestly, the way that we handle sensitive topics or issues um, like money. Money is one of those things. It's one of those things where I think if somebody who is outside of the church feels like every time they go to church, someone's just trying to take my money, trying to get my money, um, we don't want anything from you. We want something for you. We want you to understand what it means to live a generous lifestyle, and that flows out of something that's very real in our lives. And so we're not going to uh, shy away from talking about difficult things, and we'll continue to do that as God's Word brings them up and as we spend time uh, looking through passages and working our way through books of the Bible. Uh, we're we're going to talk about everything that's out there. We're going to not shy away from things that are difficult to talk about, and, uh, and that was one of them last week. So I appreciate the candor that I heard from people. I appreciate the response that people were sort of thinking through where they stand with God on that issue, and And today, um, we're going to move on to talking about generosity as a whole. And what I want to touch on is, uh, what is your motivation for generosity? Okay, why? Why be generous? And it's a simple answer. I think a lot of us would probably know it off the top of our head. But but what is it that actually causes a Christian to be generous? And I want to help you see today that Christians should be the most generous people in the world because we have experienced generosity in a way that the rest of the world hasn't. Right? Somebody who doesn't know Jesus, who hasn't had their sin forgiven, who hasn't uh, found a relationship with Jesus, who doesn't know what it means to, to understand grace, who hasn't become part of a community of other Jesus followers who offer that same grace to them, they don't understand generosity the same way that someone who is a believer does. And if you're struggling with generosity as a person in the way that you give your life away, your time away, your possessions away, your money away, all of these things, if you're struggling with that, I actually think what you have is a discipleship problem, uh, not a generosity problem, okay? I think it's a discipleship issue, and it's a, uh, it's a gratitude issue. And so I want to start today by um, just the idea that generosity is rooted in transformation. Generosity is rooted in transformation, okay? And this passage we're looking at in Colossians, uh, we're going to spend a whole lot of time on the first verse. It's so packed full of what it means to be generous and what it means to respond to what Jesus has done, um, that I want us to go kind of slowly through it, and then we're going to look at the rest of the passage uh, a lot quicker, okay? And so it's Colossians chapter 2, verse 6. It says this, so then, just as you received Christ Jesus as Lord, okay? And so he's going to get to generosity here in a minute, uh, thankfulness and how we should live as Christians, but he starts with the idea that our discipleship, our transformation is the thing that this is all built from and the place where it all begins. That we have to start by receiving faith. And this is not osmosis. I think sometimes we get this idea that if we just hang around at church long enough, and if we just go through the motions long enough, then we'll become a believer in Jesus. That eventually the community will accept us, we'll learn the behavior, and then we'll become somebody who follows Jesus. And then you know, that'll be good. That'll be fine. And to be honest with you, that's not what scripture lays out for us. It is an intentional choice to receive Jesus. That if we don't receive the gift that he's given, if there's not a moment where we hand over 
our own control and submit to him and ask him to be the one that makes us good, then we aren't good. We can hang around. We can hear it all. We can start to become like a Christian. We can try living like a Christian. We might even be a pretty disciplined person and be able to do it for a short time. But eventually, unless you have received the grace of Christ intentionally and you have received it, all the rest of the stuff that we're talking about, it doesn't matter. Discipleship isn't a thing that matters until you've actually received Jesus because you can't do it on your own. You need Christ in your life guiding you, giving you grace, and and calling you to something. And so there's a moment in every believer's life where they have to submit to the will of God, and they have to receive what Jesus is offering. Okay, It's like a birthday party where you don't open any of the gifts, right? unless you actually receive what's being given to you. And I know this is hard. Because I know a lot of us, we have a lot of pride. Maybe we grew up in a tradition where we kind of went through the motions and we learned enough. We were sort of inoculated. We got enough of the gospel, but never actually had a moment where we submitted to Christ and received uh, what, the, what he is offering, to receive him as our Lord. And that is the place that generosity begins, right? It's receiving Christ is the place that generosity begins. It is not osmosis. It is an intentional decision to receive Jesus as your Lord, to put him in charge of every part of your life, to say everything that you have is his and is from him, and then generosity begins to flow out of that response that you've made to Jesus. And if there hasn't been a moment that you can point back to in your life and say, this is the place where I submitted myself to Christ's will, where I received the gift of salvation into my life, then you need to do that. That's where it begins. You can try to be generous. You can try to live a life that looks like the one that you think Jesus is calling us to. And you will fail if you do it on your own. Period. None of us can do it on our own. That's why we like to say this is an imperfect church for imperfect people. We're imperfect people who receive a gift from a perfect God that change us, that transform us. And it begins with receiving Jesus if you're like, I don't even know what you're talking about. I don't get what you're saying. Then, you know, fill out a card and let's talk. Or go to our prayer station and sit down with somebody and have a conversation. Or catch me in the lobby. Or talk to somebody in your small group. But it starts with actually receiving Jesus for yourself. And it's, it's a huge deal. You can't go any further unless this is the beginning point, the starting point. So it goes on. It says, this is still in Colossians 2. Uh, six, you know, so just then as you receive Christ Jesus as Lord, he says, continue to live your lives in him. Continue to live your lives in him. And following Jesus is a, a lifelong pursuit. Uh, it's, it's a good name for church, right? Pursuit, community. It's not accidental that we call ourselves pursuit because Jesus talks about this. Uh, he says, look, you know, for those people who pursue God, right, the ones that ask and seek and knock, they're the ones that receive what they're looking for from God. It's a continual pursuit. And what I found in my own relationship with Jesus is just when I learned something about Jesus, I got like 10 more questions, right? You, you never get to the end where you're like, I'm good, I know it. Like you go to seminary, you could study the Bible, you read the whole thing, and every time you open it up, it's new again. Every time you open it up, the circumstances in your life has changed, and God uses his living and active word to speak to you freshly and again that day. We talk about having this relationship with Jesus. A lot of times it's through his word and it's through endurance as we continue on as Christians where we, we prioritize being in his word. 
Right? You can get to a place where you're like, I've already read this. I've read this 10,000 times. I've read, you know, I've read the book of Philippians 100 times. I think we're going to study that later this year. Uh, you know, and you open it up again, and it's brand new again. Okay? That's the, God's word. And as we pursue him, as we continue to live our lives in him, as we endure in our relationship with him, he changes us. That, that root of generosity comes out of us continuing to live our lives in him. And, and I know that, that there's, there's sort of always, let's see, how do I say this gently? Um, I've been now, I'm just now old enough to have seen cycles of bad theology come and go. Uh, as a teenager, as a 20-year-old, as a 30-year-old, I've seen, hey, the newest thing now is we're going to believe this about God, and here's why. And I, I see this person who's espousing a belief that doesn't necessarily fit with God's word, and I'm like, yeah, I've heard that before about 15 years ago from another person. Like, there are cycles of bad theology that come and go. And, and in fact, there, there is even sometimes people will tell you, hey, you know, let's, let's tear this whole thing down and then let's rebuild your version of faith. And it's like, faith is not um, super personalized when it comes to the right way of thinking. God's word is uh, the same yesterday, today, and forever. And in fact, as we look at new ideas and new interpretations. If someone has a new idea on how to interpret scripture and it hasn't been thought of in, you know, 2,000 years since we've been handed a Bible, it's probably a really bad idea. And there's a lot of ideas that come back. They're also terrible ideas because they go against what God's word says. We have to actually look at God's word, allow it to speak to us, and look at how we have traditionally understood his word. We have to take that into account. We have to look at how to uh, correctly take apart and understand his word, and we need to make sure and guard our, our theology. It's only through the practice of continually pursuing Jesus that we actually are able to do that. And we, we can't, oh, hey, what's up? Uh, we cannot turn ourselves to the newest, newest interpretation, the newest idea. It's like, it, it's pretty traditional. It's actually pretty simple. The, the, the main concept of having faith in Christ is, is never going to change. It's, it's grace given to an imperfect person who needs God's grace. It's us submitting ourselves and being obedient to Jesus. Um, and so we continue, we endure, we, uh, we continue to pursue and study and understand who Jesus is. You don't always need to reinvent your faith. You need to stick with your faith. You need to endure in your faith. You need to let your faith grow as you struggle and as you have issues happening in your life. You know, we can't throw it out and rebuild it all the time. It's actually pretty simple. I feel like, what is happening? Is this like mood lighting? It's like every time I say something, I get a blue and a red. Um, this is part of being a mobile church, and uh, so there you go. So we continue to live our lives in him, we continue to pursue and we continue to endure and we continue to try to understand and dig and learn and ask questions. And none of those things are bad, but we need to be looking at and understanding the word correctly and understanding that it has authority in our lives. We need to not throw away the pieces we don't like. We need to grow into understanding those pieces. We need to let the word speak to us. This is the faith where generosity is built out of a faith that is continually pursuing God and enduring. It goes on. So it says, as you're uh, starting with Christ, your relationship with Christ, and you're, you're continuing on in him and enduring in him, it says it will be rooted and built up in him. 
That if we do these things, we begin to grow and we begin to be disciples. We begin to become like Jesus. We become like the person that God created us to be. And our faith becomes rooted. It's the root system that holds us through difficult things. Um, I have a I have a confession to make. Uh, in my yard, I, I don't know anything about, uh, you know, uh, plants. I'm terrible at understanding anything that's going on. And things pop up in my in front of my yard, and I don't know whether they're weeds or flowers or what I'm supposed to do with them. Every once in a while, I'll look at it and be like, is this vine supposed to be here? Is this thing that's growing in this planter the thing that was originally there? Because plants are weird. Somebody planted something a long time ago that only comes up every once in a while, and when it comes up, it's meaner than it was two years ago, and now I, I cut it back, but now it's stronger. It's coming back, and, and I don't know if this should be here. And so there, I have this little thing grow up in my front of my yard. It's like a tree, you know? It's like a really like thin, long tree, and I don't know if it's supposed to be there. I'll be honest with you. I don't think it's supposed to be there. And what happened was um, the squirrels started climbing up this thing and jumping onto my roof, uh, and so I've got squirrels on my roof who are then now messing around in the vents and getting into the gutters. And this is a problem. So I went outside. And I'm like, I'm going to take this, this tree down. But man, was it strong. Uh, it had grown into a, a tree like this big. And all of a sudden, I didn't really have the right tools. I had one of those like clip, clipper things. You guys, I'm so bad at this stuff. Uh, and I started and I'm like, I do not have the right tool for this, right? I need like something really significant to get this thing out of this planter. It's a pretty strong little tree. I can't rip it out with my hands. I can't use the lopper thing I've got. I can't, I need like a, like a little baby chainsaw or like some sort of ax. You know what I mean? Like I need something really heavy duty. Mark, I'll be coming by later to borrow something. Uh, just, you know, uh, that's my friend with tools. Um, and this is kind of the thing that happens with our faith, right? So like, you think about something, uh, whether the tree has those spinny things or an acorn or whatever, it has a way to reproduce, and it drops a seed, and that seed becomes like a little seedling. It kind of plops out, and there's just a little cute thing, and then over time, it starts to grow, and as it gets stronger, and as the root system grows down, right, this, this thing goes from being something you could grab and pull out of the ground, which is what I should have done before this tree got huge, to being something that you could uh, use a small tool to get rid of to being something that you would need a, a chainsaw and an axe to get rid of. And your faith is the same way. Your faith is something that gets, gets uh, built, it gets started, and then it's, it's sort of in danger early on. It's something that can be sort of yanked out of the ground and pulled away. And as you deal with difficult things, you honestly need shelter and protection of a community to help you let that thing get rooted and as it starts to grow, it go, those roots go deeper and they get stronger and it starts to grow and it becomes something that can sustain or withstand difficult moments and things that happen in your life. And if you're going through a difficult time and you're finding that your response is not generous, that your response is, is not uh, to lean into God, but is actually to question and move away from God, then I'm challenging your discipleship and saying you are a seedling that needs to grow roots down into the ground so that you can survive some of the difficulty that's going on in life. You need to step back and say, maybe I'm not really a disciple yet. I need protection of the community right now, and I need to grow and be rooted. I need those roots to go down deep, because I don't want my faith, when I go through difficult times, to be pulled out of the ground. I want that to continue to be rooted into the ground until eventually 
I can withstand the difficulty of life. And I know that comes with age and it comes with maturity. It comes with discipleship. It comes with us saying God's word is my authority. Jesus is my king and my Lord. And I'm going to uh, root myself in those things and become someone who has a faith that can sustain me. And it's a faith that all the things that Christ asks us to do are built out of that. We're only so capable of generosity as a seedling. We're way more capable of generosity as a huge oak tree, right? We're only so capable of defeating the sin in our lives and moving past the anxiety that we have and getting through the difficult problems that we're dealing with when we're a seedling. We have way more capacity to handle those things as an oak tree. Like, I want this church to be a, a vineyard, not a vineyard, that's the wrong word, a forest, how about that? of oak trees, where one seedling gets planted in the middle of our root system, that it's protected and it can have time to grow and develop. There are people among us who have a faith that they share with other people, that they cause other people to grow, and then it becomes a place where people find Jesus and are rooted and built up in him. That it would take a level five hurricane to knock down your faith instead of a very small storm. That we need to be rooted and we need to be built up in him. And I think that this idea um, is sometimes, I think we think we're there and then something bad happens and then we're kind of shook and then we have to step back and decide where we are with Jesus. There's a difference between having your your, uh, your life rooted in Christ and his word and then sort of floating through life. Jesus talks about the idea that everyone is sort of passively floating towards destruction. This is how Jesus puts it in the Sermon on the Mount. He says, he says everyone is passively floating towards destruction and it's only when they decide to get off on a narrow path that leads to a specific single gate that we can find Jesus that we can find God, that we can have relationship with him, that we're sort of just floating through life. It's like being in a, a gigantic river. I don't know if you've ever been in a river that's so big, you, you go out into the middle of it, you can't really see the current from the shore, but once you're in it and you start to keep your eye on the shoreline, you realize you're moving in the current of the river and you honestly can't control where you're going. I mean, unless you're like an Olympic swimmer, you're just kind of stuck in a river, like, and I even feel this way sometimes, you know, you could be like canoeing. You're fighting the current, trying to go in the right direction. There's only so long that you can tread water and try to hold your position when you're in a current that's dragging you around. I think our culture is a current like that, where if you're not rooted in Christ, you're going to be pulled away from the shoreline slowly, little bit by little bit, as you start to honestly drown in the culture. You find yourself way far away from where you intended to be because you weren't rooted in something solid. You were allowing yourself to be fluidly moved in the culture and just sort of washed away. I think a lot of people today, that's what they're doing. They're just, they're like, yeah, I love Jesus. I can see him. I'm just treading water right here in the, in the culture. And then over time, they just kind of drift away. Jesus gets further and further from where they are. They find themselves moving in a direction they don't want to go because they're not rooted and built up in Christ. They're not rooted and built up in Christ. Put your roots deep in Jesus. It's one of my favorite Minnesota words, by the way. Root. You're like, that's exactly right. That's the right way to say it. It's not. I'm sorry. You guys are, you guys are wrong. Um, it goes on. 
It says, strengthened in the faith as you were taught. And to be perfectly honest with you, we don't, as Christians, have an information problem. We have an application problem. We do not have an information problem. We have an application problem. To be honest, most of the time, we know what we need to be doing, and we're just not doing it. Right? The writer here in Colossians, strengthened in the faith as you were taught. You can rely on what you know, and you know enough to be obedient to Jesus. The question is, will you be obedient to Jesus? And we talked about generosity last week, and I mentioned God doesn't care about percentage. (laughs) He cares about priority, right? There's no New Testament standard that says you must give this percentage like there was in the Old Testament. In the Old Testament, the Jews were compelled to give at least 10%. They were actually compelled to give 10% twice a year and then 10% uh, every three years. So they were giving closer to 23 and a third, almost to like 30 or 35%. Like that was, they were compelled to do that. In the New Testament, God lays out through Christ's teaching, essentially, I want you to prioritize me. Give it to me first. That's the most important thing. And as I had conversations with somebody, like, man, I am so glad that you didn't, you didn't say that we should be tithing. Uh, and, I, and I was like, well, I, I did mention Jesus affirmed a tithe um, and that the percentage wasn't really important. In fact, I think tithe is a great place to start. And they were like, wait, what? No, no, Jesus didn't tell us to give 10%. So, well, we're off the hook for that. And I said, no, are, what would it look like for you to prioritize God and give to him first? You tell me what that looks like. We look at 10%, we're like, 10% seems like this arbitrary number to us. And I would say it is. I'd say it's a great place to begin being generous. And if you're making God a priority in your life and you're giving to him first, um, you tell me what that looks like. If we, if we feel like when we hear a sermon like that, oh, great, we're off the hook. Uh, there's something wrong with our discipleship, our heart. We should say, what does it look like? How? The question should not be, uh, what does it look like to be exactly? Our question should be, how can I be as generous as possible? What can I give up? What can I do differently? What can I do to please God? How much can I do in response to what he's done? And I don't think percentages are helpful. I think priorities help. I think first fruits are helpful. I think asking that question and really seeking an answer is really helpful. And it's everywhere in our faith. It's all the places that we struggle to be discipled. It's places where we don't want to give up. It's places that we don't want to have the conversation. We don't want to know what Jesus says. And when we know what Jesus says, we still don't apply it. We don't have an information problem. We have an application problem. We need to start living the, the faith that Christ has given us. The, if we root ourselves in him, it needs to start changing the way that we live. We need to start asking the question all the time, you know, what can I do differently? How far can I go into Christ? Not how much do I have to do to keep God happy? That's the wrong question. How much of a disciple can I become? How generous can I be? How much can I forgive other people? Uh, you know, how, how much can I, uh, you know, be discipled and, and spend time in his word and be with him? How far can I push these things? That's what it looks like to be discipled. And he's saying we need to be strengthened in the faith that we were taught, that we should actually apply it instead of just continue to learn things in our head. It's, it's not an information problem. You have the information. You know the answer. The question is, will you do it? Will you apply it? Um, I learned this from another pastor. He said, People would come into his office, and as he was counseling them, generally, 
the issues they would have, you know, you'd have somebody say, hey, I'm really struggling with my faith. I need you to, to meet with me and, uh, you know, give me some ideas or some thoughts about what it means to actually become who Christ has called me to become or to grow in my faith. I'm having some struggles. And when you sit down with people, you generally get uh, just about the same three things. Like, it's literally like the same thing. So what he would do is he would actually uh, take out a note card, and before the session began, he would write down uh, sexual sin, evil in the world, pride, and he'd fold the card up and just put it on the table, and then he'd meet with the person, have the conversation, and at the end, he would say, listen, we just talked about this, and I just want you to know, before you walked in, I wrote down what I thought the issue would be on this card, and he'd flip it over, and he'd be like, here are the three things that we just talked about, and these are reasons why you're struggling in your, in your relationship with Jesus. And then he'd counsel them and say, look, your issues are not different than almost everybody. They're almost all the same. The culture we live in, there's the same, the same questions, the same issues, the same things that everybody's dealing with are actually all from kind of a similar root, a similar root of either not trusting God or questioning his goodness, okay, um, or not being happy with... Um, uh, with his, oh, what's the word I'm looking for, guys? It's coming to me. His ability to put up with, what do you call that when you're put up with somebody? Tolerance. It's him being an intolerant God, right? Those are the three issues that I think most people are dealing with. Can I trust God? Is he good? And I don't think I like how intolerant he is. I mean, that, that essentially kind of sums up what I think is the root of what most people are dealing with. There was a study and it, uh, recently, and they said, you know, why aren't people following God? And they landed on this idea of intolerance, that this is an intolerant God. In our culture, we look at a God who has very clear standards, and we say that's a very intolerant God. I want you to understand, like, God owes us nothing. He doesn't need to be tolerant the way that we think he should be. In fact, tolerance is a terrible idea. Tolerance is even a bad idea in your relationships with people. You know, in our culture, we're saying, hey, we should be tolerant of every person. We should put up with every person. Tolerance is a weak standard. It's a weak bar. We are called to love and sacrifice ourselves for people around us, not put up with them. Not just put up with them. To love and sacrifice ourselves for those around us. And don't think for a second that this intolerant God isn't loving and sacrificing himself for you actively all the time. He is. So we need to be strengthened in our faith as we were taught. We need to actually apply the things that we know are true. We need to continue to ask those questions and struggle. It's okay to not have your faith together, but understand that it's rooted in some of these very similar questions. And we need to land on the idea that God is good, and his intolerance is not something that I get to be the judge of. Right? And that he loves us and sacrifices ourselves for us the same way he asks us to love and sacrifice ourselves for the world. Our generosity is built out of the strength and faith that we were taught. It's a simple gospel that we apply, but it's not exactly easy to do. It's not hard to understand. It's hard to do. And so our generosity is, is rooted in transformation. As we become transformed, we become more generous. As we become transformed and as we're more discipled, closer to what Jesus wants us to, we begin to be generous. But that's not the only one. I want to touch on this last part here. It says generosity is also rooted in gratitude. Okay, so it's rooted in our transformation, but it's also rooted in gratitude, right? Look what it says, the last part. It says we should be overflowing with 
thankfulness. That generosity is something that grows in us as we live simple, thankful uh, lives, where we practice gratitude. And you start to understand this when you become a parent. I think I didn't really get it until um, I got old enough to watch my kids receive things. Uh, it's, Christmas is like a completely different uh, thing when you're 40 or 39, almost 40, uh, and you have two little kids. Uh, I don't get up on Christmas excited to open anything anymore. Uh, there was a point in my life where Christmas was about what I was going to receive and how cool that was going to be and how many more video games I was going to have or how many, you know, what I was going to get that, that, you know, that winter or that Christmas, what I was going to receive. And now when I wake up on Christmas as a parent, um, what I'm hoping for, what I'm going to love that morning is actually watching my kids receive things, right? That as I became someone who uh, got older, needed less, the joy that I would receive is watching others receive Right, the gift of watching my kids rip open those gifts and be full of joy because of something that I could provide for them. Uh, it, I'm in a completely different place than I was 10 years ago, 15, 20 years ago when it comes to, to Christmas. That when you become a dad who wears uh, you know, Mr. Rogers sweaters uh, and you have to wear PJs that match everybody for some reason... Uh, and I'm just thankful for every moment that I get to watch those kids receive. It's not about me receiving anything. It's about watching them receive. A truly generous person is motivated by thankfulness, by gratitude. My gratitude in that moment is enjoying that moment with my kids being thankful that I have a family, that I can give them something, that this is not a very difficult thing for us, that we get to provide joy for them. And as you become this generous person, you actually start to receive more by giving other people things. It's a paradox. It doesn't exactly make any sense, but as you become somebody who's mature and discipled, essentially as you become a, a, a dad, you know, or as you become a mature person in your faith, you start to get more out of giving than out of receiving. You start to get more out of watching other people receive than you would get out of receiving something. It starts to turn away from you and the focus on you and the selfishness that's in us as immature Christians and turns to how much can I provide for other people and how amazing is this that I get to do this, right? The reward begins to be the thing that uh, you receive by watching them receive. Uh, I was talking with Mike, our treasurer this week, and he was like, I just want to tell you, like, I had the most fun job last week. He's like, I went onto the website of our local partners, and I typed in the amount of money that we were going to be giving, and I got to push the button that sent the money to our local partners, and knowing that that was matched, and knowing how much of a difference this was going to make, he's like, I had the best job in the world. It was so I had so much joy giving this. Mike is the one that got that. He's the one that got to receive that. And then as we grow as Christians, when we start to give things away, when we start to be generous, it becomes about uh, not what we're receiving, it's what we're giving. It's what we're watching other people receive. That's the, the joy that comes from being thankful and having gratitude. And our gratitude is rooted in our discipleship as we become disciples of Jesus. I want to 
Take a look just here at the end because you ask, well, why should we be full of gratitude? Why should we be thankful? What is it that that's rooted in? And he very clearly lines it out in the next couple of verses. He says, see to it that no one takes you captive through hollow and deceptive philosophy, which demand, depends on human tradition and the elemental spiritual forces of this world rather than on Christ. He actually here is just saying, look, be really careful about the things that you believe and and, the, uh, and how self-serving your theology can get. In fact, the elemental spiritual forces is like, you know, some of you guys have just, just such a basic faith that you can't withstand the, the terrible theology that people are espousing out in our world. That you just grab onto something and you think, this sounds really good, and it's not rooted in anything, and it's not something that God wants you to grab on. He says, you've got to be careful about those things. That you can't uh, depend on human tradition Right? You can't make decisions based on whatever the church has done for thousands of years unless it's rooted in Scripture. Every single thing that we do as a church, you should be going, where is the scriptural uh, place that this is rooted in? We were having conversations already about uh, membership for a church. Right, A lot of people have to come to me like, hey, how do I become a member of this church? I just want you to know, like, we're going to go slow on that because membership is not anywhere in Scripture. Just throwing it out there. It's a human tradition that the church has created. It might be something that we choose to do because it might be smart for us to be organized in that way. But it's not in Scripture. We talk about differences in understanding, but, uh, different baptisms, different, uh, different understandings of the, the traditions of the church, different ways of doing communion. We try to root everything we do in Scripture, uh, and it's connected and tied back to that. He goes on, he says, uh, for in Christ, all the fullness of the deity lives in bodily form. And in Christ, you have been brought to fullness. He is the head over every power and authority. In him, you are also circumcised with a circumcision that is not performed by human hands. He says, something about you changed. There's a mark on you that makes it clear that you're a Christ follower. And it's not a physical mark. It's a mark. Jesus talked about being circumcised in your heart, something different would be uh, something would be different about you that would show that you're a Christ follower, but it wouldn't be a physical uh, manifestation of that. It would be a spiritual. It'd be, a, it'd be something inside of you. And it's like this makes sense. We don't like show up to a you know a church uh, event and like, hey, you circumcised? It'd be real awkward. How about that question of the day? Uh, turn to your neighbor and talk about circumcision. <laughs> We don't care. I don't care how you eat. I don't care how... Some of these things that like our Old Testament uh, ritualistic uh, deals, those are out the window. What's important is how you live, why you're motivated to do what you're doing, why it is that you're giving the way you're giving or being generous or, uh, or serving other people. What is motivating you? That's the thing that matters. And it's, it's a circumcision of the heart. There's a mark that's left on you by knowing Christ that's seen and felt in the world. He says, your whole self ruled by the flesh was put off when you were circumcised by Christ, having been buried with him in baptism, in which you were also raised with him through faith in the working of God who raised him from the dead. Uh, he says, you used to be like this, and you are now like this. There's a transformation that's happened to you. You needed to be reborn both. Uh, you need to be born and then reborn. There was a spiritual thing that needs to happen where you're reborn. You're put to death. And now you're raised with him through your faith. And by the way, that's why we do a water baptism for believers. Right? There is nothing wrong with an infant baptism. Great. If you were infant baptized, that's fantastic. But scripture tells you to be obedient to a submersion into water because it symbolizes your death to your old way of self and your resurrection into life with Christ. 
And there's nothing special about it. It doesn't give you any special uh, Holy Spirit helping or anything. It's a, it's a situation where we're called to be obedient, to represent what Jesus has done in our lives, and to share that with the world. A lot of times we think baptism is about us. Hey, I was baptized. I'm about all my friends. This is about me. It's not about you. It's about the rest of the people in the room. When you stand up and say, my life has been transformed by Jesus, I need to be put to death and be resurrected with Christ, and I'm going to be obedient to what I've been called to do, and I want to show that to the community of people that I'm connected with. And it's rooted in Scripture. And so our generosity is rooted in gratitude. Why is it rooted in gratitude? He says, because when you were dead in your sins, the uncircumcision of your flesh, that God made you alive with Christ. That we've gone from death to life. You know, a, 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 a cadaver does not need CPR. We are not bringing a dead person to back slowly, 1% at a time, by trying really hard. The cadaver cannot perform the miracle on itself. To bring something that is truly dead back to life, it is a miraculous thing only done by Christ. We live in a world that tells you, hey, try harder, do better, do 1% more, read this book, try this thing, do this thing. No, submit yourself to Jesus. Receive that new life. Be made alive. And it's not a small change over a long period of time. It's a drastic, ridiculous, 100% change that happens. And then you figure out how to live. Right? Now that you've been given new life and you have air in your lungs and you're alive, now you figure out how to live now that everything in your world has changed. It's not small and it's not a little step and a little step and a little step. It's a gigantic thing. And we can be full of gratitude because we know we were dead and then Christ made us alive, that it was a miracle to bring us back from, from death to life. Why can we be full of gratitude? It says, he forgave us all our sins, having canceled the charge of our legal indebtedness, which stood against us and condemned us. You know, when you, people were put on a cross back in Roman days, they would tack the charge above the head of the person who was being uh, crucified. And what did it say above Jesus' head? Jesus, King of the Jews. That was the charge. That was the charge against Jesus. It was Jesus taking on that charge that paid our debt. Right? The charge that would be hung above your head on a cross was ripped off of that cross. You were brought down from that cross. Jesus went up to his and they, they hung Jesus, King of the Jews, above his head. And he's not just the king of the Jews, he's the king of the Jews, he's the king of the universe, and he's the king of your own specific personal heart. That as we are challenged to receive the debt that was paid by Jesus on a cross in our place, that as we receive that and are turned into the disciple that he's called us to be turned into, then we start to understand what generosity is. But it's that transformation that causes us to be generous. And if you're struggling with generosity, go backwards. Look at your faith in Christ and grow into the person that you were called to be. Because that's where generosity comes from. It comes from understanding that Jesus went to a cross in my place. And it was him taking on the charge that paid my debt. And that charge never needs to be paid again. It's once and for all. It's every sin that you uh, you have committed are committing currently. I don't know what's going on in your head right now. Or that you will someday commit. All of those sins are wiped away in one moment, on one cross, at one time, by one man, Jesus, going to the cross to pay our debt. And he's not just the king of the Jews. 
He's the king of the universe, and he's the king of our own personal hearts. And it finishes, it says, he had it taken, he, he has taken it away, nailing it to a cross, and having disarmed the powers and authorities, he made a public spectacle of them, triumphing over the cross, that Jesus made a spectacle of death and of sin and of the Romans and of everything that was going on in their day and everything that would go on in our day, that he made a spectacle of it by a giving essentially in a generous way that would be a, something that would challenge us and motivate us for the rest of time, that he overcame sin, he overcame death, and he's given us so much. And if you're struggling with generosity, this is a discipleship issue a transformation issue, a lordship issue. It's you saying yes to Jesus. It's you receiving what he wants to give you. It's you becoming who he wants you to be. And then it's generosity comes out of that. It's you rooted in your faith. We're challenged to be generous because of what we've received. Because of the gratitude in our hearts of a God who loved us and took our place. That's what it looks like. So our challenge as a church is to find ways to become closer to Jesus in relationship with him, potentially to begin a relationship with him, and then to work our way towards generosity through that relationship. It's literally a submission every day to his will and to what he's doing. Let me pray for us. Jesus, thank you for what you did for us on that cross. Thank you that you went to the cross in my place. Jesus, I pray that there would not be one person in this room who leaves without understanding that they have a relationship with you. And God, I pray that you would show people here what it looks like to move from apathy in their relationship with you to being a full disciple, to receiving the full gift that you want to give them, that we would receive life and the fullness of life that comes with knowing you. Jesus, I pray that this would change the way we live in every way, but that we would become incredibly generous as we follow you. Thank you for showing us what it looks like to be generous by giving your life for us. In Jesus' name, amen.